and clean out your garage of your stuff all at the same time. So I want to encourage you to join in. If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, looking over my notes this morning, I realized I bit off a much larger chunk of Scripture than we'll ever get through this morning. So did some editing on the fly, and so we'll pick up part of the passage that is laid out in your bulletins, but I believe the Lord wants to speak to us very specifically on a portion of the scripture this morning. I want to remind you that there is a huge difference between biblical Christianity, true biblical Christianity, and things that sound Christian. There are a lot of things and a lot of religions and specifically a bunch of cults that sound Christian. And part of the problem that the church has is the church, in some cases, is so poorly taught that the church is open to being swayed and persuaded by the lies of the enemy. I happen to know of people that I believe at one time had a relationship with Jesus Christ that have fallen away to things like Christian science that have fallen away to Jehovah's Witnesses, have fallen away to the Mormon Church, have fallen away into various religions that ultimately do not teach salvation by grace and thereby have left people in a place that they will likely not see the kingdom of heaven. And they are people who have sat in church. And so Paul, and I want you to realize this, this is the last chapter that he writes, the last book that he writes, before his life is forfeited for the kingdom. And so these things are his very last words. They're the things that he left Timothy with to to remind Timothy of of what the world would look like as the day of the Lord draws near and and what would be uh, perhaps the greatest threat uh, to the church, the greatest threat to Christians. And I believe that this threat is greater today than it ever has been in the course of human history because men are far more intelligent today. Mankind is, in fact, increasing in knowledge. And there are a lot of people who believe that you can mix uh, Eastern philosophy and Christianity. There are people that believe you can mix New Age and Christianity. There are people that believe that you can mix virtually anything in Christianity and still come out with biblical Christianity. And so Paul begins to remind us that in the very last days, before the Lord returns, when he will judge the living and the dead, that there will be an awful lot of people that will turn away unto things that are not biblically sound truth. And so this morning... Let's ask the Lord to minister to us from his word. Father God, as we take some time this morning to study your word, Lord, to come together as your children, Lord, as a family, uh, to receive from you the gracious gift uh, of your word imparted to us. We pray that you'd speak, that we would clearly hear, and that we would soundly listen. And so, Lord, we offer this time up to you that you would use it. Lord, minister your truth to us. Help us to stand strong and firm in these last days. We bless you, and we thank you, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Verse 1 here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
And it says there in verse 1, For I charge you, therefore, before God. He's reminding Timothy he's about to leave. His mentorship will be over. His time of instruction with Timothy is at an end. And he leaves him with a charge. And a charge is, is one of those things that we often hear at the end of uh, a time in education. There, there is a, an address given where the students are charged with that which they have learned and that which they are now going to take out into the world as perhaps a profession. They've spent time in college, and now it is time to go out. They've spent time in high school. It's time to now go out into the world. And so the charge is given. And in this case, it's before God. It's not just before men. It's not just holding Timothy accountable to the things that he's learned in a human sense, but in a, thing, in a, in a sense that he knows these things from God, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. This is not one of those things that we like to dwell on at times. Now, as a Christian, as someone who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, let me reassure you that what's being said here is that your works will be judged, but they won't be judged for salvation. They'll be judged for reward. And so for those of us who know the Lord, there's going to come a time when everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever said, all that has been the sum and substance of your life as you have been a Christian will be judged for reward when you get to heaven. Now, for some of us, that will result in a crown or two. And for some of us, it will be kind of a shameful time because we really took that salvation, that grace gift, and we did very little with it. And so for even those of us who are Christians, we ought to be concerned because I really want the Lord to say, well done, not just, whew, you made it. <laughs> you, you see, we will be judged. But the flip side of this is, is that those who don't know the Lord will be judged and they'll be judged in their sin and that sin will cause them to be cast for all eternity into hell. That is the other side of grace. People don't like to hear it. You don't like to hear about hell. And quite frankly, I don't like to teach or preach about hell. But hell is real. And hell is a choice that people make. It's not a destination that God has chosen for anyone. It is a place that people will choose in spite of the evidence of grace. And because that is the case, everyone will have the opportunity to determine for themselves which place they will spend eternity. But make no mistake, God is going to judge everyone. You can't escape it. You're going to stand before a holy God, either in the grace of God, for the judgment of your works and what you did for the Lord, or for the fact that you never chose the Lord. And the problem with the church is that if we don't lay hold of this and we allow our friends to fade off into Mormonism, we allow our family to take up Buddhism, we, we allow those that we know to wander off in some cultish belief like Christian science, and we do not share with them the truth of God's Word at that judgment they may well spend eternity in hell because we didn't stand for the truth. And so, family of God, 
I charge you, I implore you, stand for the truth of God's Word. It says what it says, it means what it says, and it is not all-inclusive. Everyone will not be saved in the end. Otherwise, Jesus would not have spent so much time talking about the subject of hell, the other option. Scripture would not emphasize the fact that there is a day of judgment if there weren't a day of judgment. We cannot, we must not, ever get to the place to where it does not matter to us whether we are the children of God who teach and preach the truth. That's why it's so terrible what's going on in in the evangelical world today. We have church after church and denomination after denomination who are denying the plain teaching of God's Word. And to do so is to damn men's souls. This is not a pleasant conversation. But you either teach the truth or you don't. You either stand for the truth or you don't. Because a little bit of truth is equivalent to a whole lie. If you don't tell people the whole truth, you have misled them. If you allow them to believe that they're okay in, in a Jesus who is less than God, that's a Jesus who can't save. We need to preach the Word. Notice what it says, verse 2. Preach the Word. It doesn't say preach Calvary Chapel doctrine. It doesn't say preach being a Baptist. It doesn't say preach being Episcopalian. It doesn't say preach be any denomination that's ever floated its beliefs on this earth. It says preach very simply the Word. The inerrant, the inspired, the Holy Word of God. It says preach the Word. It says preach the truth. It says preach the whole counsel of God's Word. It says preach the Word, family of God. And you know what? That's hard at times. Because you're going to have conversations with people that they're not going to like what you have to say if you preach the Word. You're going to confront people in those areas of life to where they have strayed from the truth. You have no choice. The church has no choice. I have no choice. I get I get a lot of hate mail. I get a lot of people who are upset with me. I get people who don't like what I have to say. But it's not because I've just been mean and horrible and evil towards them. It's because I've dared to tell them the truth. No, God it does not believe that your relationship with that person you're not married to is sanctified because you think it is. God calls it fornication. As far as he's concerned, it's a sign of an unbeliever. So I don't care how much you tell me you're in a committed relationship, you're not okay with God. When somebody comes to me and says, well, you know, I just can't deal with life without coming home and having a few drinks. I see God's Word tells you that you're not to be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation. That's the removal of your thought processes. It says you can't. Your life may be tough. 
You see, when you begin to tell people the truth, ultimately you will offend people. When you tell people religion doesn't save them, you are messing with about three-quarters of the world's population. When you tell them that works doesn't save, but grace by faith saves, you are messing with three-quarters of the world's population. When you tell people that surely if they do not repent of their sins, they will die in their sins. And to die in your sins is to be unsaved. You are messing with people's belief that they can work their way to heaven. The family of God. The truth of God is found in the Word of God. The truth of God is not found in a commentary that you happen to like. The truth of God is not found in books written about the Bible. The truth of God is found in the Bible. And when the book that you're reading disagrees with what your Bible plainly teaches, throw out the book that you're reading. But a lot of people just simply believe what's been written about the Bible. And quite frankly, that would include almost every cult that's at work in the world today. And a little more on that in a bit. It says, preach the word. And notice what it says, be ready in season and out of season. Can I tell you that being a Christian is not convenient? Can I tell you that being a Christian means that you're never off duty? Can I tell you that being a Christian means that you have two seasons, in and out, and you're to be ready in both? There's no such thing as a vacation from your relationship with Jesus. You see, we're to be ready. Paul's telling Timothy, be ready. Preach the Word. Make sure that you're ready. Because you know what? At an inconvenient time, someone's going to come to you and they're going to need the truth, not your opinion. Not what pop psychology teaches you. You see, these final words that are being spoken here are very powerful. The last words of most men, Thomas Edison, when he died. He said, it's very beautiful over there. Those were his last words. You know, we, we often look at the things that go on in our world and we, we kind of think we have forever, don't we? I can tell you as I've gotten older, I, I, I now look at the end of my life. I, I can see it. It's like it's not right on the near horizon, but it's visible. I have a lot less years left than I had when I started. What's my life going to count for? What are we going to do? Queen Elizabeth I of England in 1603, she said this as her very last words, all my possessions for one moment more of time. Or can we say when we take our last breath, we've done all. We've run the race. We've finished well. Be ready in season and out. Notice the words that are used here. 
please underline them because they're hard concepts. Convince. You realize that to convince anyone else of a truth, you have to know the truth yourself? To convince someone else of the truth, you have to know the truth yourself. You will never convince anyone that something is truth when you yourself do not know it, nor can you articulate it. How many people say, oh, well, you know, Jesus is the way. And they can't quote a single Bible verse in support of that. They can't point towards anything in their own life that's indicative of the fact that they're saved. You can't convince someone unless you know the truth yourself. It's one of the reasons that we're here this morning. But this can't be the only time that we dig into God's Word. This can't be the only way that you receive that truth. To convince implies to study. Rebuke. That is to tell someone they're wrong. I think one of the great faults of the church today is that we're so desirous for things to be smooth and without problem and and that we would have no issues with anyone that we are failing to rebuke. And I'm not talking about being horrible and mean and just vile to people and screaming and yelling at them. That's not what's being said here. To rebuke is to counter a lie with the truth. To rebuke is to counter a lie with the truth. It is to say you're wrong and here's why. You see, it's part of convincing. It's not the only way we convince. It's simply part. And in a legal sense, it's much like when the whether the prosecution or the defense presents their argument. If I'm going to convince, I'm going to give evidence that I am correct, the other person is wrong. And to rebuke is to draw out the negative things in that other person's actions or words. You've got to do that. You cannot stand by and let your friends, your family, your own children, your neighbors go unchallenged in believing a lie. You can't do it. If you love them, you must try and convince. And if necessary, rebuke them. But that rebuke needs to be in the love of God and by the Word of God. It isn't just screaming and yelling. It's presenting that convincing argument that speaks to the the fact that they're incorrect. When when you talk to somebody and, and they are of the Muslim faith, or they're perhaps Hindu or Buddhist, they are perishing without the grace of God. You cannot sit there and go, well, we all believe in the same God. Because we don't believe in the same God. That is a lie. You're not convincing them. You're not calling into question the fact that they're wrong. You're allowing them to believe that they're okay with God when in fact they're not okay with God. You see, it lies with us to preach the Word. It lies with the church. My goal is to simply equip you. That's it. My goal is to equip you. It's to teach you the Word, but I can't do the work of the ministry you've been called to. You need to do that. You need to speak the truth into people's lives. Because when you, if you look around this room and you realize how many people 
This actually represents in the sphere of influence that you have, it's thousands. It's thousands. It's not hundreds. It's thousands. The number of people that you know that you can affect with the truth that can then go and affect other people directly is thousands of people. Rebuke. Exhort. That is to strongly caution. It's to present that truth in such a way that that person knows that there is a penalty for their indecision or wrong decision. And both are applicable. Because to not choose is to choose, family of God. I hear very frequently, you know, when I get older... When I don't have anything better to do with my time, when I'm retired, you know, I get down to where, you know, these things have concerned me. When I'm close to the end of my life, then I'll choose. I've had people tell me they were going to wait until the end of their life and then they would ask God to come into their life so that they'd be okay when they die. I've had people tell me that exact thing. Can I tell you there's a penalty for indecision? And that penalty may well be eternity spent separated from God. For tomorrow is promised to no man. That's what God's Word says. I don't know if I even have this afternoon. That's a freaky thing to think about, isn't it? But you realize it's the truth? Tomorrow is promised to no man. The Lord alone has assigned a day that you will have your last breath. And He knows what day it is. But you don't. I don't. And neither does anyone else. I have presided over the memorial services and funeral of everything from infants that were just born to people that have lived nearly a hundred years. And I can tell you something very consistently. Not one of them knew the day. May have had some inkling. You know, you get out 90, 95 years old. I think you can pretty much guess that you don't have a whole lot of time left. But will it be that day, the following day, the next week, next month? Nobody knows. Indecision can be eternally of strong consequence. And notice this, with all long-suffering and teaching. You see, most of what we need to do is remember that this is a long journey of being consistent. My life needs to be the same. Just like Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just like He is the beginning, the end, the Alpha, and the Omega. So I need to have that same kind of consistency. I can't be one way to my family one week and something else the next. It it takes long suffering. It, It takes us striving a long time in love is the way you need to look at that. You may need to tell that person the truth over and over and over and over and over again. You may may have to figure out new ways to do it. Sometimes with the the most painful thing I think we deal with as parents is our own children. You have to figure out new ways to convince them of that same truth, rebuke them if necessary, exhort them if necessary. And it doesn't mean simply bring up a strong argument that's so forceful that they have to believe. It means to give them the truth in such a way that they believe it. But we can't be one way one day and something else the next. 
I need to be consistent in my witness, my walk, and my words. People should see me the same. That doesn't mean boring. That just simply means that I don't move. As Paul reminded us, none of these things move me. I'm okay with people not liking me. Does it hurt? Of course. But I would rather that they not like me and me tell them the truth than they like me and they perish eternally. That isn't even a contest. And again, may I be very specific. It doesn't mean combative. It doesn't mean mean-spirited. It doesn't mean overly forceful. It means consistently and lovingly teaching the truth with everything that you are. You can't tell someone that God doesn't like anger if you're an angry person. You can't tell someone that God really doesn't like bitterness if you're constantly bitter. You can't be mean-spirited. You see, the love of the Lord shines through in all these things. People will see your compassion. When I meet with people and they're caught in sin, my goal is to not beat them up. They're already beat up. They're already thrashed. They're already doing dumb things. They don't need me to remind them of the dumb things. They need me to tell them the truth. If you persist in these things, you're showing with your works, with your actions, that you don't know the Lord. And I'm not judging your heart. I'm not trying to say you are or are not saved, but I would be very concerned if I were you. Because your actions are indicative of an unsaved person. Now when you say it that way, guess who has to make the decision? The person you're talking to. I don't have to look at him and go, well, you stupid idiot, why did you do that? Do you realize I've heard Christians say that to other Christians? Because I've done it. I'm probably sure some of you have as well. With all long-suffering in teaching, you're going to have to suffer long. You know what long-suffering is? It's hard. It's suffering long. It's going the extra mile. It's being willing to tell that person the truth over and over and over and over again, even if it hurts you. Even if you suffer long. Now, we don't like that. Long-suffering is not something... If we did a class on long-suffering here, there'd be one of us there. Me. Yeah. We're doing an eight-week series on long-suffering. Nobody's going to show up. We don't like to suffer. And we sure don't like to suffer long. But there are very few things that are more like Jesus than long-suffering. He's been suffering with mankind since the beginning of time. He came into this world while the world was yet still sinning. And Christ died for the ungodly. That's why when someone tells me that, you know, well, I think God, Jesus only died for those that believe. No, because that wouldn't be suffering. That wouldn't be long-suffering for sure, because there's still a lot of people that don't believe, and Christ died for them too. 
Notice the condition. Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I believe this is one of the signs that we are in the last days. Because sound doctrine is getting harder and harder to find. And I'm not casting accusations against anyone. I'm telling you, you can read your newspaper, you can go online, you can do the research for yourself, and you're going to find out that the thing that's getting tossed out is the Word of God. The thing that's being denied is the truth and the inerrancy of God's Word. If you don't believe that, look at the number of churches that have turned away. The issue of homosexuality and homosexual marriage, clearly spoken of in God's Word. And yet we have whole denominations, millions of supposed Christians who are now being forced to make a decision to whether they're going to stay a Presbyterian or an Episcopalian or believe God's Word. They won't endure sound doctrine. The same is true for the methodology of salvation. How many churches now are leaning towards what we would call universal salvation? That God, by His nature, is so universally good that He would never damn anyone. Family of God, you can't find that in Scripture. It is not there. Bluntly, I wish it were. As a human being, part of the human condition, I would, I would love if that were true. We could all go and go fishing right now, or skiing, or whatever. We could just go do something else. Because in the end, it wouldn't matter. The truth wouldn't matter. The Bible wouldn't matter. Sharing your faith with people wouldn't matter. The simple fact of the matter is the Scripture says it does matter. Your Bible says it matters. And your Bible plainly teaches truth that confronts other world religions and cults. It confronts those people who are now clinging to errant doctrine. I'm mind-boggled by what's going on in Christendom right now. We have multiple movements in the evangelical world. You know them by lots of names. The seeker-friendly movement. The emergent church. Word-faith movement. All of these have an errant doctrinal view. Every last one of them. And when you get people to come to church because you tell them that God's going to heal them, that whatever they ask will be given to them if they tithe, if they offer a seed gift, When you tell people that if you have the right book to read along with the Bible, you'll discover the secrets of health? Family of God, that's not grace. And it's not saving faith. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Now notice this, and please underline that. According to their own desires. 
When Scripture declares to you that there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof, or the results thereof, or the final conclusion thereof of that thinking is death, it's exactly what's being said here. According to their own desires. The reason people don't want to hear the truth is it fights their own desires. I'm tired of living with my husband. I don't, I fell out of love with my wife. You know, I I can't figure out a a way to make a living, so I'm going to sell methamphetamine. And of course, God will forgive me because I'm providing for my family. You know, that guy that lives next door, you know, he's got three cars and I need one, so I'll just take one of his. There will come a time when people won't endure sound doctrine. The the truth will be foreign to them. Why? Because our own desires will become so prevalent in the world that we will follow after our own desires. And that is exactly why you have the emergent church. That is exactly why you have the seeker-friendly church. That is exactly why you have every cult. It appeals to man's flesh. And when you appeal to the flesh, there's no end to appealing to it, is there? Pretty soon, the flesh rears its ugly head, and it demands to be served. And the only thing that beats back the flesh is the truth. My flesh needs to hear the truth. I need to tell my flesh the truth. No, if I continue down that path, it's going to kill me. Spiritually, physically, emotionally. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They want to hear something else. People don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear something else. Pretty much anything else. There are millions of people who believe they're saved because they watch Oprah. Because they listen to Dr. Oz. Or Deepak Chopra. Or they buy this book or that book, and three times in there it mentions God. And because it mentions God, it must be godly. And if it's godly, then it must bring salvation. The only of God is truth that saves. It's it's not man's desire. My desires are continually, as Scripture declares, evil. I think about myself, and so do you. If you're honest with yourself... When you wake up in the morning, the first person you generally think about is, guess who? You. You go down to get coffee. Who do you get it for first? You. When you think about going out to eat, who are you thinking about? Your stomach. We we, we, we are constantly thinking about us. And the only thing that keeps it in check is God's Word and the truth. And all of a sudden the truth pops up. He who desires to be first shall be last. If you want to be greatest in the kingdom, be the servant of all. You see, you begin to have a different set of values, and they're not the world's values. You sit there and read magazines, you watch television, and you realize how far the mighty have fallen. How far we've fallen away from that. And again, I'm not trying to burden any of you. I'm simply saying probably some of you are dead on 
Maybe many of you are dead on. But I'm telling you, we have a time now like we've never had to tell people the truth. To, to stand for righteousness in a way that brings people to that place where they make that choice to follow the Lord. They'll have itching ears. They'll heap up for themselves teachers. Who do you think those guys are that are writing those books that are selling millions of copies that kind of sound godly? It appeals to the flesh. I don't know, I can just mix a little of this with a little of that. Then ultimately I'll be okay because God is just, you know, He's so nice. Make no mistake, God is love, period. But love has consequences. Love demands reciprocity. Love goes both ways, in other words. It's a reciprocal agreement. God loves me, I love him. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, guess what? Keep my commandments. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He did not say, if you love me, and because I'm so good, you can do anything you want. And you're okay in it. You can believe anything, you can think anything, you can go anywhere and do anything. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. Broad is the path that leads to destruction, and narrow is the way that leads into life, and few there are who find it. You, you see, the picture is people want the broad road. The picture is people want to do what they want to do. It's why we have the problems we have in the world today, where they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they'll turn their ears away. Notice this. They'll turn their ears away from the truth. That means that the truth is there, but they don't want to hear it. It is an intentional action that's brought out here in this sentence. In other words, the truth is available, but people say, no, I don't want to hear that. I'm going to turn my ear away from the truth. The truth bothers me. I don't like the truth. I'd rather have someone tingle my ears. I'd rather have somebody tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. Now, if you've ever had problems with your children with the refrigerator, what they want to hear is, ah, oh, don't worry about it, you're young. You can work on it later. When in fact it's, no, you really need to stay out of the fridge. Because those extra pounds are going to be hard to get rid of when you get to be my age. You need to tell them the truth, and the same is true spiritually. Now, go ahead and have another pie. I know you're having a bad day, and it, it's, you know, this world is a tough place, so have a couple more beers. You know, man, if I live with him, I'd divorce him too. You know, you have been abused emotionally, so you can do anything you want. You have the right to be bitter. If anybody ever had a right to be bitter, it's you. You'll make a lot of friends that way. But you won't be telling the truth. Because that bitterness will kill them. 
just as surely as drug abuse will kill somebody, bitterness will kill them. You want an example of that? There are eight people who are dead in Seal Beach from bitterness. That was bitterness at work. Laying hold of the pains of life to where they eat away at you and you find it necessary to go shoot eight innocent people. That's what can happen with bitterness. When somebody tells me, well, bitterness is just between me and God. No, it almost always has an outflow. And it's never good. You need to tell them the truth. But the only thing that combats that is forgiveness. Unconditional forgiveness. Not them earning it, but you giving it. You see, people don't like that. Well, I don't want to forgive them. Number one thing people tell me, they've never asked for forgiveness. If you wait for everybody to ask for forgiveness that you need to forgive, you're in trouble. Because you're going to carry around a lot of garbage for the rest of your life. Why? Because people are knuckleheads. They're sinners too, just like you are. I am. And they'll do the wrong thing in spite of the truth. Turned their ears away from the truth and turned aside to fables. Family of God, that is what every cult is that's on this earth. It's away from the truth and towards fables. It's that simple. And it doesn't matter what analogy you use. Uh, the character of those groups is pretty much the same across the board. And whether you're talking about Jehovah's Witnesses or whether you're talking about Mormons or whether you're talking about Christian science, when you look at what they do, basically it's itching ears and away from the truth. We don't like what the Bible actually says, so we'll come up with something that's more suitable to the way we think it ought to be. And then ultimately that character comes out in the form of a new religious group. And those new religious groups do not bear the truth. They, they promote the false nature of God, a false nature of Jesus, a false teaching on salvation, which almost always is works. You have all those things that when you begin to look at it, you can go, wow, there's some consistency here. You know why? Because they appeal to man's flesh. You know what's really bizarre? Is people actually like works. It makes them feel good. You know, I'll just go out and I'll just give more of my time or I'll crawl across these pieces of broken glass on my knees and I'll show God how much I love Him. I'll make sure that He knows that I'm dedicated. The problem is, is it's still a work of the flesh. And it doesn't ever fix the problem. There's not enough broken glass for me. I could go here to the moon on broken glass and it would still not be good. Matter of fact, I'd figure out new ways to sin while I'm crawling across the broken glass. The other thing that happens is they begin to write books. Notice what it says. Fables. You know what the Book of Mormon is? Fables. You know what the Pearl of Great Price is? Fables. You know what the Doctrines and Covenants are? Fables. Just like Aesop's, they're fables. They're not truth. That's why they say things like people live inside the sun and on the moon. That's why they make equivalizations that God is tritheistic. In other words, there are three gods, not one God in three persons. 
They're fables. They're not what Scripture teaches. That's why when you go into those groups and you begin to talk to them, you'll find out that you've got to have their books. You can't be a good Mormon without a Book of Mormon. You have to know what the doctrines and covenants say and the pearl of great price. The same is true for Christian science. You need the Science and Health with Keys to the Scripture by Mary Baker Eddy. And then you can just forget about all your meds. And, you know, when you get cancer, just have faith. You see, you start to lean on things that can't support. And all of a sudden you wake up and guess who eventually you begin to blame? God. How many people have been walking in darkness their whole life because some Christian didn't tell them the truth? No, Christian science is neither science nor Christian. Amen? That's the truth. It's not science and it's not Christian. Mormons are not Christians. Did you hear what I just said? They are not saved. So when you meet a wonderful, nice, super wonderful Mormon person, probably going to be some of the nicest people you ever meet, they still don't know the real Jesus. And they're perishing. Are you just going to let them go about their business without telling them the truth? You need to preach the truth. You need to preach the Word. You need to remind them that the Jesus they believe in can't save. That in fact they teach salvation by organization. You cannot reach the third level of heaven without being a temple Mormon. Period. My Bible said to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. Didn't say I've got to join any group. Didn't say I needed to even be baptized. It says today. It's either true or it's not. And so it isn't about these other religions. Their structure, the way they function. Family of God, we need to stand for the truth. It's going to bring some conflict your way. It's okay. This life is a vapor. It doesn't mean you, you need to go out and see who you can get in an argument with every day. It's not at all what I'm saying. But when somebody comes to you and says, Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about becoming a Mormon because they're, they're just really nice. You can go, You know what? They are some of the nicest people I've ever met. But they're also some of the most lost people I've ever met. And they're going to perish. They will pay for the decision to follow after Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon. To, to heed the words of the living prophet who sits in Salt Lake City, and today his words count for the same exact weight, the same exact weight of the authority of Jesus. Do you realize that? When he speaks, it's the same as if God himself spoke. My Bible says that the revelation of God was finished with the book of Revelation. And that cursed is he who adds to the words of this book. So when someone says, well, you know, I, I just heard that the prophet said. 
And so when they decided finally in the 1980s that black people could actually be saved, you didn't know that, huh? Yeah, there was a time when black people could not be in the Mormon church. And it wasn't that long ago. That women were equivalent to men. They still aren't. And in fact, women are so subservient to men in the Mormon church that unless the husband attains unto the celestial kingdom, the wife can't go. My Bible doesn't teach that. You see, we need to stand for the truth. And in order to teach it and preach it, we need to know it. And I pray this morning as we think on these things that we don't get twisted in our theology. You realize that New Agers will talk to you about eternal life in the concept of reincarnation. So when a New Ager comes to you, yeah, I believe in eternal life. You might want to ask them what that actually means to them. Because there's a lot of people floating things out there that have nothing to do with what God's Word says. But they sound pretty Christian. It's our responsibility to stand for the truth. It's our responsibility to be people of grace. I don't work for God's favor. I work from God's favor. I'm not working for His grace. I already have His grace, and because of it, I work in grace. Grace sufficient for my faults and my weaknesses and everyone else's as well. But it's based on the truth of God's Word. Not on what I want it to say. Not on what my human desires would like it to say. I'm to preach the truth. You're to preach the truth. And if we do that, family of God, at the end of our lives, we will be able to say, as we'll get to here shortly in this last chapter, I've run the race. I've finished well. I've done everything God's asked me to do. That's what I want God to say about Jeff and about this church, about you. It doesn't mean you have to do everything I do. It doesn't mean if you don't do everything I do or someone else does that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that at all. It means where you have influence, preach the truth. Where you have contact, teach the truth. And do it consistently and lovingly and longingly. So that when the Lord comes or you take your last breath, you're going to have a big fat smile when those crowns go on your head in heaven. You're going to take them off and throw them at the feet of Jesus. But what a joy it will be to have something to offer to the King of Kings in heaven. And so I pray that we will preach the truth. Amen? What a special, special thing this morning. I think we have a whole bunch of young people. I'm going to go this way. I'll be back.